2: Boy it does it Kelly. Thanks so much. Welcome to Closing Bill. I'm Scott Wapner front and center this hour. The post pal post NVIDIA state of stocks. And what comes next for a market that's already on edge. Here's your scorecard with 60 minutes to go in regulation and take a look at that market uh, suddenly awakening. Major averages have been all over the map following that Jackson Hole speech. But now the Dow is up near 1% S&P 500 kicking into gear to 4415. The nasdaq is outperforming today it's up better than one percent small caps playing along too boeing one of the dow's top performers today along with salesforce it reports earnings next week as for tech overall not much going for much of the day for the nasdaq though as i just said we do have a little bit of a pickup here as we enter the final hour we're at the highs of the day we've been dragged a bit by nvidia it's down apple and microsoft however are offsetting that both of those stocks are higher sector wise energy utilities they've been bright spots throughout the day yields a big part of the story too. I want to show you what yields are doing as well because we've had a bit of a reversal they were down and then they started to rise 424 is the yield on the 10 year all of that of course happening in the wake of the fed chairs big speech out in jackson hole takes us to our talk of the tape whether this still modest correction for stocks needs to go much further or not. Let's ask our special guest on this Friday, Wharton School Professor Jeremy Siegel. He joins us once again. You know, you've been with us on a bunch of Fridays, Professor, which I love because it gives us a chance to kind of sum up what's happened in this stretch ahead of us. And today, of course, it's all about the Fed chair. What did you make of the speech, first and foremost? And what do you think this market reaction now says about it?
3: Well, first of all, there was really nothing new uh, that then he said in the in the uh, July FOMC meeting. In fact, I was I was disappointed because what's happened in the market, as we all know, is that yields have risen, real yields have risen, real growth has risen, and the reason that real growth has risen is because productivity has been so strong. He didn't address any of that. He seems. Almost stuck in that mode, real growth is higher, that means more workers, that's more pressure on wages, that means we might have to go higher, and that's not the story. The story is we're getting a real growth higher because we're getting productivity higher. In fact, the labor market is slowing down. I mean, expectations for next Friday are, what, about 160? Um, You know, less than half what we had last year. So in some ways, I don't think he really address what the market has been seeing over the last few weeks. That's why I said, I think some people got a little bit nervous at the beginning. The market sold off. Now they said, hey, you know what? There's nothing new. We're going to gain back what we worried about yesterday. Market down 300, now up
2: 300. i got to be honest with you, Professor. You know, I heard, and, you know, I don't know. Maybe I was hearing the wrong thing. I heard a Fed chair who suggested that maybe the bar is a little higher to, to actually do more than some others would would like to believe. And I say that because of these words, quote, uncertain about the lags, might be significant further drag in the pipeline. He also mentioned the risks of doing too much. That tells me that they're not quite sure what's yet to come, and they're going to be real, real careful because they don't want to mess it up. They don't want to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory.
3: I, I think you, you're right there, and in fact, we detected that as we, you and I, had talked about after the July FOMC meeting. He became much more two-sided. He became much more aware that there are downside risks. Uh, he, uh, I think, he heard from two or three voting FOMC members that are saying, you know, we have done enough. I think he looks at rising delinquencies. And credit cards. We've been hearing that on some of the earnings calls. He looks at other, you know, what's happened to mortgage rates at nearly seven and a half percent. So that he mentioned that little pickup in housing. We don't know how long that's going to last. So I think that is on his mind. How, you know, even though his orientation has been, you know, we may have to do another quarter point. Probably we're going to bypass September. We're going to look at things and see how things are going to be on the for the November meeting. Is that, is that the most you see happening? One more
2: hike, and, and perhaps that's in, in the fall? Is there a chance that they are unless, actually done? Is, is,
3: is there a chance they're actually done? There's a chance that they're done. And unless the inflation news turns dramatically worse, and the only way we can really do that, if the dollar goes way down, which it's been going up, if oil keeps on going up to 100, 110, 120, although they're supposed to ignore, you know, food and oil as being more temporary, if commodity prices begin rising, which they really haven't. Now, those have stabilized, to be sure, but we're not seeing the inflation in in those components and housing, particularly, that we saw in 2021 and uh, 2020 and 2021. So unless those things happening, of which there's no sign, it's got to be, at most, one and done, Um, And if there's a little bit more of that downside risk and saying we can hold off, then it's done and done. Wow. What about the
2: correction? Um, Is it done? Right. We're down, what, I don't know, four percent or so on the S&P from the from the, you know, the recent high. Um, Yeah. Do we have to go Uh, much further
1: lower
3: or what's what's your guess? You know, September for for decades had been the worst month of the year. And then when all that used to get published. I published a lot of that in my in my book. Everyone said, well, then we better also in August if September is the worst month. And then August became a tough month, especially second half of August. Um, and I think that is being challenged. And of course, the higher real interest rates are certainly challenging the stocks at the same time. But I don't see any major crack. I mean, it may have a few more percent to go. Could it dip into correction territory? possibly with some really weak news but that is about all um, you know after that uh, we have September October choppy months lot you know news months November December usually being much better year ending on an on, on an upturn so I think for the rest of the year we're stable to upward and we have the 15 to 20 percent um Rise, And if he doesn't raise it anymore and says inflation's falling, you know, it could be 20, 25% for the for the full year. Wow. Big call. Um, let's broaden the conversation, too, uh, if we could, Professor,
2: and bring in CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli and Shannon Sakosha, of NB Private Wealth. Uh, Shannon, of course, a CNBC contributor as well. You know, Mike, I've, I had them rustle you up. I, I know you're getting ready for your special, but I, I wanted your opinion here. I mean, it's been an interesting move in, in the market. Didn't really know which way it wanted to go. Got a little bit of a ramp here as the day goes further. Yields are up and stocks are up. Yeah. What does it tell you?
1: Yeah, yields are up, although minimally, I think they're not taking off, which uh, was maybe going to be the real Achilles heel of the stock market if uh, for whatever reason, and I don't think it should have, if the bond market took Powell's comments as somehow uh, being very incrementally hawkish beyond what was expected. So that being said, I think the stock market is sort of tacking back toward neutral. Uh, the high for the week is, I think, 44.60. The low is 43.60. We're 50 points above and 50 points below. We're right in the middle, taking back yesterday's decline. So I still think you can say this is an indecisive market. We don't know if this pullback has kind of fulfilled everything it has had to from the highs in terms of, you know, resetting valuations and, and expectations uh, and things like that. But I, I do think that it showed you there was nothing today with Jay Powell, as you allude to, using the word, the phrase proceed carefully twice. Um, that changes the general premise of the Fed policy this year, which is a patient Fed that's just about done. We can argue about whether it's going to be a quarter. It's not going to be in September. It might be later. But so what? They've done five and a quarter already. The one-year Treasury bill yield is at 5-4, suggesting we already kind of priced in rates around this level for the next year. So to me, uh, nothing much changed on that front. The big question is, what do we make? of this economic acceleration late in the cycle and whether it can continue or whether it's going to cause imbalances or whether it's going to get long rates uh, up to a point that the market and the economy can't stomach. We're still going to be debating that next week. But in the meantime, you know, the market uh, had taken account of of most of what Powell was was going to say today.
2: You know, Shan, I heard some on the the network earlier suggest that we were 0 for 2 this week in terms of NVIDIA and, and the Fed chair. Not that NVIDIA didn't knock the cover off the ball, but the reaction didn't exactly suggest that the report you know, was something to really build on because the stock had already done a lot. And then when the market was down earlier, it was like, well, Powell was more hawkish than we thought. When the reality is, if you now have the ability to step back and look what happened this week, NVIDIA did knock the cover off the ball, didn't do anything to upset the story there. And Powell maybe wasn't as hawkish as some actually feared. Um, and we have something at least we can take away that wasn't horrible.
4: Well, how could you not fear uh, Powell's uh, address here at, at Jackson Hole, given what we experienced last year, Scott? I think those of us are scarred um, still from that a year later. Uh, I think one of the things to think about is that you're right. We, we didn't get as hawkish, perhaps, a statement from Powell as we might have expected. And to the professor's point, we also didn't hear some of the things that I would have a- anticipated hearing. Um, I know the professor, you know, would have liked to hear more about productivity. I would have liked him to acknowledge the fact that we're seeing a re- acceleration in food and energy prices, because frankly, although that isn't in core, that's an important component of consumer spending. And the consumer is clearly continuing to drive the strength in the U.S. economy. If you look at what 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 happened this week in terms of what the Fed expectations are, we're really looking at a a period now over the next four weeks or so where the market is going to be very much focused on economic data, data dependency and what happens next. And Scott, to your point, you know, we're down to a we incrementally up to about 20 percent chance of a Fed uh, hike in September, about 50 percent in November. I would counter that those aren't nearly as important as understanding what the policy in 24 is going to look like and what we saw after the meeting today was we saw that the um, the expectations for rate cuts in the second half of next year came down um, after the meeting today and i think that's important an important piece what is higher for longer mean how does that get priced into equities and the multiples that we're paying for stocks today that's really where the narrative is going to start to shift i think we're past either september or november and really looking into 24 now for policy
2: so professor on the NVIDIA question, what, what did the reaction to it suggest to you, uh, if anything, about you know, whether tech in, in general had just gotten too far ahead of itself, whether it actually needs to cool off, that valuations in that part of the market are just too high and, and we need to come back to earth a little bit?
3: Well, Scott, let me tell you, in all the years, I have never seen a firm beat as decisively as it did now and go down in price. Um, I mean, mean, jump down the announcement, but, but then go down in price, which means there's never been a case where the whisper number or that expectation was so much above Wall Street's official estimates. That's the big warning. Everyone just AI, the words. Get overexcited! Listen, I saw it in the internet stocks in 1999. We saw it three years ago when you put Bitcoin or crypto on your name or blockchain on your name again. When something catch fires, the expectations explode. That's the danger. When uh, that even even when you blow blow the the, the the cover off the ball, your stock doesn't go up. That's the danger. But the rest of the stocks outside of that group. I think no, no general overvaluation. We can still get gains this year.
2: Mike, what's your takeaway uh, here? You know, a few days after they reported in, in what was you know billed to be the, the not only the most important earnings report this week, but maybe one of the ones, maybe the one the most important we've seen in quite some time.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you talk about that part of the market, I think Nvidia alone is that part of the market in many respects, just in terms of. The Head Start people have given credit for it having in AI, the the, the degree of market cap it's added, the the growth, everything else, it's pretty singular. Um, I see Microsoft trading 10, 11 percent below its July high. Uh, It shows you that it was not moving step for step with NVIDIA. So the fact that NVIDIA, you know, front loaded a lot of the excitement, uh, more or less priced it in, there's no shame in sort of hovering around a $1.1 trillion valuation and and waiting for it to grow into it for a little while. you didn't get that market-wide push higher that we got three months ago, I don't think is, a, is really a negative verdict on the company or the positioning of the, of the overall market. I, again, this pullback has done some of what a pullback is supposed to do. I just don't know if it's done at all. Uh, if, it, if we hit the low for this little uh, choppy period, then probably the rebound off it isn't all that exciting or all that spring loaded because you didn't really build up a lot of the uh, kind of oversold conditions and get valuations super cheap. But it, we, maybe we did enough uh, for that to be it. And we got through NVIDIA without broader uh, pain, if nothing else.
2: Professor, can, can stocks? like tech, go up if rates remain even where they are? Let's let's not even take into consideration whether they hike again or not. If they remain yeah. elevated now for a while, and since the beginning of earnings season, we're talking about a 50 basis point or so move higher in the 10-year. So if this remains the case, do stocks generally and then specifically, does tech have a problem?
3: Tech has a problem if it can't grow faster. I mean, what- you know, when you know, NASDAQ is going at 30 times earnings, the value stocks are going at 15 times. That's a two to one ratio. You, you're building in five, six, seven percent higher in, in general earnings growth. For NVIDIA, you're building in, you know, 15, 20 percent for how many years? Uh, I mean, that's that's the main thing is if your earnings growth is growing faster than the increase in that discount rate, then you still. Can go up. Nvidia is a very, very special com- company right now, and uh, you know AI has has the promise to transform the economy. That that magic is still going to be in that stock. Um, you know, when it went down actually today, I was saying, you know, maybe I'm tempted to buy it when all the price targets are so much higher. <laughs> hey,
2: Shan. You know, coming off Jackson Hole, I'm looking at a headline here from. Christine Lagarde, the ECB president, do do we care about at this point what other central banks are are doing and what other central bankers are saying? She says ECB to set rates as high as necessary for inflation. Okay, they'll they'll do whatever they have to do, I guess, to keep inflation uh, uh, under control. Do do we care as, as investors here?
4: Yeah, I think we need to care, Scott. I mean, I think we need to care, as it obviously affects um, yields here in the United States based on, you know, kind of relative yields and what's available. Um, There's been significant movement in the currency market. You know, we have the, the Bank of Japan really engaged, if you will, from a currency perspective in a way that they really haven't ever been. And so there's a lot of policy questions there. I think most importantly, though, is just trying to determine you know, where's that tipping point? Where's that inflection point where valuations are so high here in the United States that regardless of of kind of incrementally tougher conditions in a place like Europe, you know, when do you make that choice to, to increase your allocations there? And certainly as it relates to the strength the relative weakness of the dollar. And so all of these things, we have to be, we have to understand that we're entering into a period, Scott, where we're not going to see as much sort of collusion, if you will, uh, in the nicest way of saying it, between central banks. We're going to start to see divergence in policy. And that has a lot of implications if you're allocating, whether it's in the United States or outside of the United States, and also between equities and credit.
2: Mike, tease us a little bit, taking stock tonight with Josh. I'm going to let you go prepare for that. I'm going to see you in market zone, of course. But yes. just give us an idea of what this week has left you guys with to, to chew around.
1: Well, we have uh, you know, a longtime NVIDIA shareholder. We're going to get Josh's take on exactly how that stock has traded, but also trying to sift through the week's news and look ahead to next week and tell you what you should be more concerned about and what you can dismiss, maybe move off your pile uh, of worries that are not a big deal. We'll do that in game show form.
2: All right. Well, we'll look forward to that. All right. Uh, that's Mike Santoli. We'll see him later, Professor. And, the, and lastly, to you, before I let you go, I'd, I'd like your last thought. I mean, you know, now we get NVIDIA out of the way, get Jackson Hole out of the way. We do have a bit of an air pocket of, of news. We don't think the Fed's going to do anything in September, though, though you never know. Uh, but we do enter what you've already suggested is a historically treacherous time for stocks.
3: Yeah. But, but as, as Mike said, next week is actually a huge news week. Uh, you know, we we get the Kishore home price index. We we get the money supply. We, we of course, get the Friday payrolls. We get the JOLTS report. These are things, of course, that Powell has quoted. We get the second estimate of GDP. We get revisions of, I can keep on going on, I won't. Um, but this, you're right. We had a gap for about 10 days on important data. Next week uh, is, is could shape what, what's gonna happen in September. Well, you've made good points, as
2: always. Professor, I appreciate the time, as always. Shannon, we'll see you soon as well. Shannon Sakosha, and you'll see Mike a little later on in, uh, in the market zone, of course. Let's get to our question of the day. We want to know what you think. How many more times will the Fed hike rates this year? Once, twice, or none at all? Head to add CNBC closing bell on X, formerly known as Twitter, to vote. The results are coming up a little later on in this hour. In the meantime, a check on some top stocks to watch from Christina Partzinevolos. Christina.
5: Thank you Scott. Well, Shares of a firm are jumping today after reporting earnings this morning. We had a revenue and profit beat well past expectations and this is a buy now pay later firm. They also improved their full year outlook. Of note, the company CEO said gross merchandise volume is growing despite the headwinds of inflation and to your question, higher interest rates shares though are up a whopping 30%. But Definitely a different story today for shares of Hawaiian Electric, which are plunging after news that the Maui County is suing the company for damages related to the island's wildfires that have left at least 115 people dead. The suit alleges Hawaiian Electric left its power lines energized despite warnings of high fire risk. The company tells NBC News it's disappointed the county chose such a litigious path. Shares are down almost 20%, trading at $9.51. Scott?
2: All right, Christina, thank you. We'll see you in just a bit. We're just getting started right here on Closing Bell. Up next, Trading Tesla. That stock has had a steady run higher this year, up more than 90%. How about that? Star analyst Dan Ives now out with a new note on the EV maker. He's drilling down on what he says could be its next big growth catalyst as well. He'll join me right after this break, live from the New York Stock Exchange. As I just said, you're watching Closing Bell on CNBC.
6: brought to you by Eaton
1: Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF. You know, inside you'll find institutional quality expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income at eatonvance.com/cnbc. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at EatonVance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foreside Fund Services, LLC.
2: Shares of Tesla are higher following a new bullish call from Wedbush's Dan Ives. He estimates Tesla's supercharger business will be worth $20 billion by 2030 and make up as much as 6% of the EV maker's total revenues. He joins me now. Uh, It's good to see you. Why did you feel compelled to write this story today?
7: Yeah, I was really putting pen to paper and really doing the modeling from everything we've done over the last four to five weeks. I mean, you've talked about it when it came out, for GM, others. The three one three area code going to Tesla now. We're trying to model it out. I mean, and I think for investors, it's very helpful. We think conservatively, ten to twenty billion per year. I think it's probably on the latter part by the end of the decade. I think it's significant. This is the next stage of monetization for the Tesla ecosystem.
2: Yeah, how do you get to those numbers?
7: And, that, and that's really going on our and, and we have a whole model putting out. The percent of overall EVs that ultimately are going to be used in the charging stations, what they're going to be charging per kilowatt hour. And then the important things, guys, that you know, most of the bears will say, well, today everyone just charges at home, or they charge at their office. But it's also looking at now down the road, how many are going to be using these charging stations? And when you look right now, they're going to be the only game in town. That's why you have GM4 and others going to Tesla. And I think today it's superchargers. Next is going to be batteries and then eventually FSDAI. This speaks to our thesis similar to Apple on the services side. This is just the early stages of Musk and Tesla monetizing.
2: Where are we on the roadmap of price cuts in in terms of Tesla, which which Elon Musk has clearly, clearly um, moved to put, you know, growth ahead of profitability.
7: Yeah. And I think that's been the right poker move. And I think it's paid off significantly especially in china i think now look 95 96 percent of those cuts we think are in the arabia and i think you saw maybe some overreaction last week and you've definitely seen a rebound as i think more investors are recognizing that but right now margins suffering at the cost of units now i think that drops over the next quarter or two and starts to rebound into next year and that's the yin yang that they're going to strike but ultimately it continues to be tesla's world and everyone else is paying rent in terms of overall EVs, and
2: I think that's becoming clearer and clearer. So in terms of the stock, it's up 10% this week. It's down 10% o- over a month. Um, and the reason, you know, I, I'm trying to get the correlation here between it and the NASDAQ. Um, if the NASDAQ continues to, to have some trouble and, and tech, big tech in general pulls back, this stock is going to be susceptible to that as, as well, don't, don't you think?
7: Of course, yeah. I mean, we well, we continue to view Tesla as a disruptive technology company, not not an auto player, right? But I, it's our view, going the second half of the year, I think tech stocks rip high. I mean, it's my view that the new tech bull market has already begun. I think growth is going to exceed street expectations, and I think what we saw with NVIDIA, that's just the appetizer. It's what we're going to see with this trillion-dollar tidal wave of spend over the coming years. For players across the tech ecosystem.
2: I know, but man, these stocks are already up like five years worth in in six, eight months. I mean, there are even with the pullback we've seen, a, a lot of these stocks are up minimum 30 to 35 we, percent. We can't just continue to suggest that they're going to, in your words, rip higher to, to, to no end, are we?
7: But it comes down to growth and everything we see from growth across software, across chips, I think ultimately numbers, especially going to next year, accelerate 15, 20% beyond where the streets model. And I think this is a nineteen ninety-five moment, not in nineteen ninety-nine, two thousand moment. I think star of the internet, and I think we are seeing the biggest transformation to tech that we've seen in thirty years. And that's that's that that's why our view across the board, this is just a pause. It's halftime. Of this Super Bowl rally, that we're going to see impact going into the next two to
8: three years.
2: I know, but some at some point the air gets a little thin. No, I mean look at Nvidia. I mean I know it's not you don't cover it specifically like you do Apple, which people know, but you know it's up two hundred percent this year. It was up fifty percent in three months, and now it's it's having its pause, pullback, wh- whatever you're going to characterize that as. I mean, what, what do you want these stocks to go up sixty and seventy percent? For for the year, well,
7: I, I mean, my view is first of all way overcorrected last year. I mean, that's our uh, opinion, and I think now investors more and more going to two thousand twenty four, two thousand twenty five, looking at some a cycle that we haven't seen in thirty years. Now, of course, rates as you asked the professor, that's clearly going to be a headwind. But when I look across tech, when I look across software, cybersecurity, chips, I, I view this as a time where we view it as the star of a new tech bull market, not the time where we're hiding because of valuations. I think these stocks
2: grow into
7: their valuations
2: over the coming years. Okay, we'll leave it there. Dan Ives, thank you. I appreciate it very much. We'll see you soon. Thank you. All right. Up next, raising the red flag. Sycamore Tree Capital's Mark Okada is still bracing for a recession. He is flagging, though, alternative opportunities for your money amid this uncertainty. Joins me after the break. And later, Instacart heading for its public market debut. Learning more details now about that company's S-1 filing, what it could mean for the IPO market in general. Closing Bell, right back.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California And starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at BP.com slash investing in America.
2: We're back with closing bell. The S&P 500 trying to snap its longest weekly losing streak of the year. On the back of Fed Chair Powell's speech out in Jackson Hole, but our next guest says that stocks aren't going to add much value to investors' portfolios from here. Let's bring in Mark Okada of Sycamore Tree Capital Partners. Welcome back. It's good to see you. Hey, Scott. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So let's, let's deal with the Fed chair's speech first. Um, what do you sure. make of it? And, and what do you make of the reaction here as we head towards the close in, in the stock market?
9: Well, I, I guess, at, and, and digesting all the things he said, which wasn't much, there really wasn't anything new there. I guess the the missed opportunity that I kind of see is that he could have been a little more hawkish than he was. Um, We certainly have had a run of very strong economic numbers, uh, which I think put this sort of no-landing scenario on the table for everyone. I'm not in that scenario. I I, I do believe in the the lag scenario. We are still in the recession camp. And so, uh, you know, I think what he said was we're we're navigating um, by the stars under cloudy skies. That, that doesn't feel very comforting to me as far as you know, where we're going and how we get out of uh, the situation of pretty persistent uh, inflation. And so I think, I think he's set it up that uh, there certainly isn't rate cuts in near-term um, future for anyone. We're, we're basically going to be either here or higher. Um, and I think that was the strong message that I heard um, and from that standpoint, I think he's paying attention to what's happened to the ten-year in the last couple of weeks. Um, it's well, moved pretty hard.
2: Yeah, I mean the ten-year's done some of the Fed chair's work for him, uh,
9: perhaps. So yes.
2: Why, why do you sound like you're in the half-empty camp rather than the half-full? You say inflation is, in your word, persistent. Others would say it's declining quite rapidly.
9: Well, I I mean, he talked about the the four contributors to PCE, and and, and the the part that's going sideways is half of it. So I I, I think that in order to get that down, the lag effects of the the move uh, in rates, the the massive move in rates they've already done, uh, will take time. And so I think that's what's coming. Uh, The reality of that hasn't really happened. I think the banks are feeling it. The banks are saying, you know, uh, uh, a trillion, 1.3 trillion of, of CRE debt coming due in the next year, 18 months. They've got over a half a trillion dollars of mark to market losses in their, in their securities portfolios. So I think as that trickles through the economy and slows things down, you're going to see this sort of uh, no-landing scenario kind of evaporate, I think. And we're going to have something that, that looks much more like a, a, a traditional cycle. Um, and as far as like the the outlook on stocks and you know how bearish I guess I sound per se, um, we're not we're not super bearish on the equity market per se. We just don't see it as a uh, relative value versus a lot of the other things you can you can invest in right now, um, especially in credit. I mean we're 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 having a great year. We're making good money in the credit portfolios, um, and we're not taking a ton of risk. Um, we're we're making. Seven, eight, nine, ten percent in the portfolios, um, and we, we like that. I'd I'd rather own that than I don't know Nvidia at whatever the stupid multiple is.
2: <laughs> well, I mean you are kind of talking your book, but that's okay. You're a credit guy. I mean I, I get it. I get it. I get it. you guys are a credit uh, shop, right?
9: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But but I mean let, let let's let's be let's be like rational about it. Okay. AAA CLO debt. AAA. That means it is safer than the U.S. government, it's yielding 6.5%. What's wrong with that? I mean, I, I'm, not, I, yeah, I'm not selling anything to anybody. I'm just basically stating the facts about the relative value of things. Oh, and, I, I, and honestly, it's like when, when you think about what's happening within the Treasury market and those the, the rates we're seeing, I, I think it's, it's kind of hard to paint a picture where they go down anytime soon. So why not own some of that, too? I just... The fixed income feels like a much better place to be than equities just in general.
2: Look, I, I totally hear you. I, 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 it makes perfect sense, right? I mean, you've got to manage your risk and you want to be able to sleep at night and you can you know, forego some of the volatility in the equity market um, to know that maybe you'll return a little bit less, but you'll feel a lot better and you'll still have decent returns, whether it's in certain parts of the credit universe or, or in cash, I totally get that. Um, in, in terms of where rates are going from here, do you feel like the Fed is done or are they done hiking?
9: Yes, I absolutely think that they've kind of overcooked this thing with with getting into the banking system uh, and setting up a, a nim problem for almost every regional bank in the country and which means a profitability problem. But also this digestion of what's going to come down from a re- regulatory standpoint across uh, the banks is not it's not going to be positive. So I, I, I think the credit impulse coming out of the banking system continues to slow the economy. I think that that does some of their job. They don't have to raise more rates. And I think what we said earlier about, you know, why, why is the tenure up 60, 70, 80 basis points in the last I mean, six because months? Because the economy is pretty good. Uh, I'm not sure. I think there's some supply dynamics there. There's also, um, the, the, well, look. That they, there's a trillion dollars of net borrowing coming out of the fed uh out of the, the treasury in the in this quarter um that's a lot of supply um and you have a time when the boe uh, the the bank of japan is, is is maybe pivoting um you've got china certainly not leaning in I, I, I think i think there's there's other reasons why the tenure has moved and i think they're paying attention to that that the uh, the term premium is is pretty positive and you know, that's that's something that that I, I think we've, we've got to be mindful of or at least watching.
2: Sure. Um, let me ask you this. What happens if inflation continues to come down? Right. It's just north of three percent. It's come down a long way in the, in the last PC's year.
9: It's four over four.
2: Well, I know you're thinking of core. I, I hear you on the core, too, and I know that's what they they care yeah. more, more than anything about. But what happens if the economy is is able to say, uh, stay stronger for longer than you think, and inflation comes down at a similar clip to which it's already come down, and that enables the Fed to cut to cut rates. Yeah. Not because the economy's dramatically right. bad that it dictates they have to, but because they can, because they actually yeah. have mission accomplished. They've, they've achieved the goal.
9: Yeah, I, I'm thinking about the, the the Larry Bird Michael Jordan commercial where they're they're fighting over their their um, their the. Happy Meal, and he's going off the backboard, through the window, over the backboard, nothing but net. I, I think that's a really tough scenario that you've laid out to, to actually happen. Yeah, I but think what there happened are too many commercial? other things.
2: I remember that commercial. What happened? <laughs> yes. the, ball, the ball went
9: in, right? That's right. It did. It did. But they're selling hamburgers, not the economy. So, so I'm not really sure that, that that's the, the right sort of thing to be, to be banking on, uh, honestly. And I, especially when you have other alternatives where you can make decent money without that sort of valuation worry, um, and, and yeah, sure, I'm a credit guy, which means that I see the glass half empty all the time. Uh, but 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 what's in my glass is pretty good. I'm 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 really enjoying you know um, uh, drinking it right now. So oh. so it it's uh, it, it's certainly an interesting time. I, I think as we start to see the weakness come into the economy. Um, We'll see where that goes. I I don't think uh, rate cuts are in the cards anytime soon.
2: All right. We'll we'll leave it there. I always appreciate our conversations. (laughs) We should have them more often, too.
9: Well, thanks for having me. And and thoughts and prayers out to our friends in in Maui. So good to see you, Scott.
2: Yeah, you as well. Mark, you, you be well. Marco, O'Connor. All right, up next, we are tracking the biggest movers as we head into the close. Christina Partsenevalos is standing by with that, Christina.
5: Well, with NVIDIA setting the earnings bar is so high, does that mean other chip makers will fail to impress? They can't do the same? We discuss next.
2: All right, we got 15 to go before the closing bell. The Dow is still up near 300 points. Christina Partsenevalos is back with a look at the key stocks that she is watching. Christina.
5: Well, let's talk about Marvell technology. It had a tough act to follow after NVIDIA's earnings, and it didn't impress investors after reporting a drop in second quarter earnings and revenue, which did also include a drop in data center sales. You had Morgan Stanley that cut the company's price target. Morningstar downgraded the firm to hold from buy. Marvell's shares are down about 6% right now, one of the worst performers on the Nasdaq. But we will have the Marvell technology CEO coming up on closing bell overtime in just a bit. You can see just at 4 p.m. Matt Murphy. Switching gears, HR software provider Workday posted an upbeat outlook that had analysts raising their price targets, citing promise from what else? Artificial intelligence. Mizuho bumped their price target to 260 from 250, as an example. Workday management did attribute the increase in 2024 subscription revenue guidance to early renewals by customers and, quote, tremendous growth within its budgeting business. Shares are up almost 6% right now. Happy Friday, Scott.
2: Tremendous. Christina, you too. (laughs) Enjoy the weekend. We'll see you on the other side. Last chance to weigh in on our Twitter. Well, our question of the day, our X question of the day. Can we call it that? How many more times will the Fed hike rates this year? One, two, or none? Head to add CNBC closing bail on X. The results after the break. All right, the results of our question of the day. We want to know how many more times do you think the Fed will hike rates this year? One, two or none? The winner one. 39% of the, it was actually kind of close, got a lot of, you know, interesting. All right. None did get almost 30. Nice split. Boeing shares soaring. We'll tell you what's behind that move in the market zone. That's coming up next. We're in the market zone. Closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here to break down the crucial moments of the trading day. Plus, Phil LeBeau on Boeing's bounce back. Steve Kovac on Instacart filing for its market debut within the last hour or so. Mike Santoli, you first sum up this day and maybe even this week.
1: I think uh, today is at least a little bit of an exhale, uh, mostly because yesterday's downside reversal was seen as so potentially ominous. It was one of those things that really does uh, kind of demoralized people who've been betting on, uh, on the fact that we might be able to buy this dip. Uh, and today, more or less unwound most of it. So I think at least it was an absence of a new negative uh, in the markets today. And also in a roughly as expected message from Jay Powell in Jackson Hole. You know, bond yields are where they are. They've been a challenge for the equity market, but they haven't burst higher uh, for, you know, in the last couple of days. I think all that together, you know, leaves the S&P 500 up a little for the week and in the middle of its weekly range uh, and still kind of in, uh, in wait and see mode, seasonally defensive, but otherwise not really showing too much stress just yet.
2: All right, Phil LeBeau, Boeing was down about 3% or so yesterday, at least at one point on you know, concerns about the 737 max again, and now we see a reversal higher by about 3%. What's the bounce back due to?
8: Well, it's a report that came out earlier today from Bloomberg saying that Boeing is preparing to resume deliveries to China. And remember, when you're talking about the 737 MAX, as you take a look at shares of Boeing, this is the reason why the stock moved higher. Uh, if they could start resuming deliveries there, it would have huge implications for the company. When you look at Boeing in China, remember, deliveries largely suspended since 2019, and especially with the 737 MAX. There have been a few deliveries outside of the MAX. But the MAX flights, they were suspended until earlier this year when Chinese airlines resumed flying that aircraft. There are 85 MAX planes that are built awaiting delivery in the Seattle area. The question is when that actually takes place. As you take a look at shares of Boeing and Airbus, remember how important China is. Scott, the bottom line is this. The Chinese airlines need more planes. They need new airplanes. And they have maxes on order. It's just a question of when the geopolitics align. And China says to the U.S., OK, we'll let
2: our airlines start to take these planes again. All right, Phil, good stuff. Thank you. Phil LeBeau. Now to Steve Kovac. Instacart filing within the last hour or so for an IPO.
10: What do we know? Yeah, Scott, tech IPOs, they're coming back. We had Arm, the chip designer, earlier this week, and now here's Instacart. They're filing today to go public under the NASDAQ, under the ticker CART, C-A-R-T. Some highlights from the S-1 filing. 2022 revenue, $2.55 billion. That's up 39% from the year before and net income it is a profitable company 428 million dollars in net income for 2022, and ad revenue. This is a relatively new business for Instacart. In 2022, that was $740 million. That was up 29% from the year before. Now, the company, though, has seen its private valuation slashed multiple times last year. It was $39 billion at the beginning of 22. It went down to $24 billion after that. And reportedly, even more than that, the information reported late last year, the valuation privately for Instacart was $10 billion. Now, CEO Fiji Simo, in a letter to potential investors in this filing, highlighting the potential market, saying groceries, that's a $1 trillion industry, and only 12% of that happens from online orders, says that could double over time. And As for that valuation, Scott, we'll see where they price, but $10 billion is quite a haircut for that company. Yeah, no doubt about that. The sign of the times. Uh, Mike Santoli, baby
2: steps for IPOs. Better than no steps at all.
1: No, for sure. And these are exactly the sorts of deals that you would expect to see beyond the front edge of a reawakened IPO market, which means a very mature private company like Instacart, where you actually have scale and there's been some profitable quarters. Uh, and you also have probably an investor base that's very much ready uh, to have this uh, go to the next phase as a public company. And then Arm, obviously uh, uh, was a public company before, owned by SoftBank, has anchor investors, kind of an industry standard in the sweet spot, uh, arguably, of, of some of what's going on in tech. So those are the easy sells and they will probably get out there. Uh, and maybe with any luck, With some rational initial pricing because that's the other thing you want to look for when deals are starting to pick up again is whether in fact uh, you know the bankers the underwriters want to make sure that uh, that they get out there with a decent valuation cushion so we'll see if that's the way it plays
2: all right our thanks to steve kovac of course as well all right mike Um, we said you got this big special tonight taking stock it's with you and josh Um, and you got to look ahead too. forget about looking back let's look ahead salesforce earnings next week you got some important data on the calendar for sure as well
1: yeah, uh, Salesforce, uh, definitely an interesting input in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the the leopard trying to change its spots to AI. We'll see if that works. Jobs number at the end of next week. Uh, PC seemed to get previewed today, but we'll see how the bond market absorbs all of those things. I think the other piece of it is, you know, we haven't seen a real rush to the defensive parts of the market. Even though we've been choppy, we've been volatile, we've been down 5%, it's not about buying safe haven sectors. Cyclical's still hanging in there okay. Even though the credit markets don't always see bad stuff coming, they've been relatively calm. So, you know, whether it's another shoe to drop uh, next week or beyond is is a question. But for now, uh, it has still remained in the somewhat routine pullback zone. let see if we can keep it.
2: Yeah, we got to see uh, where tech shakes out. Let's see what NVIDIA does next week. We said Tesla was up 10% this week as well. So keep an eye there. Mike, good luck tonight. Go get him. That's Mike Santoli again. Josh Brown taking stock this evening. You don't want to miss that. Bells ringing. We're going out green. And it's green across the board. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'll see you on the other side. In the O.C. with John Ford.